right, welcome everybody to another episode of The Now of Work. If you've been following us for a while, you know The Now of Work is a community. It is a special place where we have brave conversations about all things to do with people, transformation, work, and today, happiness. I'm so excited about this podcast recording. It happens to be Nancy O'Brien's birthday, which makes it even better. And I get to welcome an old friend, a dear friend, a Leap Gen alumna, Rochelle Anderson, back to the conversation. So thanks for everybody uh, tuning in and listening to another episode. Today, we are going to talk about happiness. I know it sounds like such a simple concept. Nancy would tell you it's simple. It's not simplistic. Did I get that right, Nancy? (laughs) Uh, And we're going to tie this to culture and workplace and what makes us happy at work and why we deserve happiness in in our lives, but especially when it comes to work. We put a lot of buzzwords around it, but it's really about being happy. Uh, Before I get too far into the conversation, Nancy and Rochelle, thank you for joining me today. I would love you to say hello to our listeners and introduce yourselves, what you're what you're all about, uh, what you do for work, what makes you happy, we'll actually get to that part. Nancy, how about you first? Yeah, thank you. So excited to be here and just thank you for creating this opportunity. And um, I'm so excited to be part of this, this community. I've been um, uh, privileged to kind of, you know, uh, be part of it for the last few weeks. And, and really, you are my people. Um, I started my career at IBM, so the technology and digital part of what you all do is is, is second nature to me. Um, I'm also a recovering change management consultant. Um, that's a whole other podcast. Um, and I'm also, um, uh, I've been in the, the experience design, employee and customer experience field for, I have to admit, like 25 years now. So um, I was just so pleased to be part of this. And the, um, the, we can get into this, but um, my best friend and business partner at Experience Happiness, we didn't, we didn't start out to start a business called Experience Happiness, even though isn't that a good idea? Um, we started out to save our, our lives and I'll, I'll talk about that. So Rochelle. Hi, everyone, and thanks, Jess, for having us. This is so exciting to be reunited. Um, Although I've been part of the community and following the conversation, it's nice to jump in with something as important and timely as happiness and the measurement of happiness. Um, I started a company um, after LeapGen. I I moved on to a company called Reimagine, which I founded with two other partners. And we are all about reimagining your life and your work in this new environment very quickly partnered with Nancy um, and the experience happiness practice. And we are, you know, trying to bring it to as many people as possible right now um, with this ever-changing environment and truly believe that anywhere there are humans, you should practice happiness. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I want to... Um, I want to set the stage. Nancy, you said something to me before we started recording that people are born happy. And I, and I want to talk about that. I want to talk about happiness as a human state, because as I said, we throw a lot of buzzwords around, especially when it comes to work. 
human resources loves buzzwords. And so in a workplace setting, we talk about how people perform and we measure performance and we talk about engagement. We create experiences for people. We hope to retain them. We, we use a lot of words to measure human beings when I think we're missing one really important word and that is are people happy and you told me we're born happy is that true so oh you have just opened up a whole doorway um to the rich world so I'll I, you know we've been we've been studying this for 15 years so um you know there, there's a whole series if you want it in the future but what I'll share with you is how we got started because I think that is the best way to answer your, your wonderful question. So um, 15 years ago, um, my best friend and business partner, Linda and I um, were, were having lunch one day. We finally got off our busy schedules. I mean, I was traveling all over the world doing employee and customer experience design. Um, she was on Wall Street doing mergers and acquisitions and marketing and brand and blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, we needed to have lunch. And we found ourselves having lunch at 1030 in the morning and having a cocktail. And what we realized over that lunch is that um, even though we had done everything you're supposed to do to have a happy life, and if the Gallup Wellbeing Index score would have been out at the time and it wasn't, we would have scored A plus on all indicators. Purpose-driven career, healthy. I was so healthy. I went to my annual exam and my physician said, I don't want to see you five years because this is a sick care system, not a well care system, and you're good to go. Um, friends, family, right? Two homes, you know, two children, the cars, the boats, the glamorous vacations to Japan. Um, uh, volunteering, right? I was the volunteer at my kid's school for a decade. Um, flush, fat, 401ks, right? Everything. And over cocktails, we realized they were both suicidal. And if somebody gave us another gratitude journal, there was going to be a situation. And, you know, one of our dear friends is Dr. Wayne Dyer's daughter. I mean, we're, I mean, we're, we are steeped in self-care. We're going to meditation. We're going to counseling. We're going to therapy. We're doing Kundalini yoga. I mean, we are doing it and we are suicidal. So again, we did not set out to start a business experience happiness. We set out to save our lives. So with that, we did what we do. We're researchers, we're strategists, we're innovators. So the happiness practice is, is born out of how most great solutions are, personal pain and need. So um, with that, we realized the first thing we had to do was redefine happiness. It wasn't out there in the kids' grades. It's not out there in the next project. It's not out there in the next promotion. It's, it's not out there. And so the first thing we did is we redefined happiness. And I'm gonna invite the listeners to just kind of close your eyes, take a deep breath, because I'm gonna share with you a definition that I hope resonates with you. Happiness is our innate ability 
to locate and cultivate our serenity and our excitement about life, regardless of outside forces. Innate means it's already inside of us. I have a privilege, I get to see my grandbaby in the next couple of days. And there isn't a baby that hasn't been born that isn't serene and excited. Like you, like that is how we were all born. And then life happens and we get chip away. Like you should be this, you should be that. You should be blonde, you should be thin. You should be smart, you should be this, right? And we erode that innate sense of serenity. Like I am good with who I am. I'm a human being. I'm not a human doing, I'm a human being. I'm on this planet at this time, right? And my excitement is bring it on. I mean, this morning I just had a conversation with my ex-husband about our son. We've been, I've been in Detroit for last year because he was suicidal a year ago this time. You know, alcohol, drugs, this little gambling addiction, all this stuff. And I just said, we did good. We did good. Cause I could spend the year in Detroit I could support him, not enable him. And today he just said he's giving up cocaine. Amazing. You know, I have outside forces, but my happiness has not been eroded through this journey. Okay. So anyway, so then we, we had that definition and I hope that resonated with you. Like, isn't that what happiness is? Like, I'm good. I'm serene. And I'm amazing. Excited, you know, and the world, the, the outside forces can be the wonderful tapestry of good stuff, bad stuff, in between stuff. I mean, life is meant to be challenging and complicated and, and, and whatnot, because we're meant to evolve and change. So that's why I invited you, like, you know, the, the question is, you know, what makes you happy? No, no, no. What are you bringing your happiness to? It could be the challenge, like with my son. It could be um, this, this podcast. You know, what am I bringing my happiness to? Because here's the thing about our happiness. It's our built-in indicator. If we are being the human being, we are meant to be at this moment on our life journey. And since everyone and everything is always changing, our happiness is that core component of us that we take with us everywhere. And so what I'll introduce you to, if, if, if you're open to it, I'll actually introduce you to the happiness practice because it's, it's a human optimization technology. Um, but I, want, I do wanna answer your question. So um, happiness propels well-being, and well-being's a new black in organizations, right? We need employee well-being. Mm -hmm. Like happy people love themselves and others. They take care of themselves and others. So, you know, it'd be nice to offer that, you know, mindfulness or smoking sensation program or weight loss program or whatnot. But, you know, if people don't love themselves, you're not going to stick around that. Right? So, um, what I'll share with you is this story. So, we dug into happiness. We redefined it. And then we said, how do we cultivate this state? So then we divide, develop the five principles of happiness. And our friends were like, what is going on with you? 
and we're like, well, we're kind of redefining happiness. We think we've got this little thing. And then they invited us to, to share it with them. So there we are in our friends' living rooms. And then all of a sudden we're at yoga studios and church basements. And then all of a sudden one of our, our friends called and said, oh my God, you saved my life. You saved my marriage. I'm a better mother. I'm a better leader. My whole team needs this. So then we, we had our first kind of corporate gig. And we're like, well, now that means we need a measurement system. So then we mm-hmm. need a happiness measurement system. So what we've learned in these 15 years is happiness can be redefined and it can be learned, practiced, and measured. And now the happiness practice is we work with people in all different industries, um, all different countries. Um, we have a variety of delivery methods. Um, we went digital be- before everybody had to do digital because Finland called us and said, you know, <laughs> Um, and we don't speak Finnish. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pause there. Well, I love the way you, I loved your definition of happiness. I think that having a foundational understanding of what it is we're actually talking about is important because I think we slip away from that. You mentioned, you know, there are some things we have control over, and there are many things we don't have control over. We have control over our beings to some extent, and what you describe as being intrinsic. That's important to know and to understand, because we we have, you know, we have to think about what can I influence and change and directly impact, Um, and knowing that there are outside uh, influences. Things happen and they happen fast. I mean, I'm raising young kids and I'm painfully aware of all of the external factors and influences and voices and examples and the things that they observe and see and feel and experience on a daily basis. And what I, what I know to be true um, is that if you don't have skills and tools and a framework uh, if, if you don't have a foundation to work from, those external influences, those factors you can't control will quickly begin to change and erode and change your framework. And, and pretty soon you feel like you're not in charge of your own happiness. And so I think, and I, so I think it's unfortunate that we don't teach those life skills early on, that you deserve to be happy here's how you protect your happiness. Here's what it looks like. These are the behaviors um, that can keep you in this, in this place. And that puts you in control of the uncontrollable. You get to say, no, not, I don't have time for this. No, you don't have access to me. No, this thing isn't going to have that level of influence over me. Um, And so, and so is, how, how do we begin to teach this? I think the work never ends. And so teaching this at any stage of life is important. Well, and, and what you touched on, Jess, which is so fun. I mean, the, um, in 2011, the United Nations started um, uh, producing the annual World Happiness Report. And the 2013 report, oh, cinema work, because they looked at 1,500 um, subjective well-being and happiness studies that were done around the globe. And they realized we've had it backwards. We used to think you need to be happy in order to, or, or healthy in order to be happy. And what they realize is like happiness drives longevity and health. Happiness provi- um, drives pr- um, productivity and income. Happiness drives um, behavior. So you, since we all have children on this phone, it's like that bully 
is unhappy. He's, yeah. That bully is hurting. And so they're hurting others. And it, it, a poster and a wristband and a don't quit bullying isn't the answer. Equip that person you know, with life skills so they heal themselves. Because the thing is that happiness is not for everybody because you have to give up your victimhood. Every single one of us, this happiness practice and I'll introduce five principle is already built inside every single human being. We are installed with it. So it's about unearthing and uncovering it. When we bring it into classrooms, the kids get it one third times quicker than the adults do. Mm. They got more unlearning to do, right? Um, that self-talk we have in our head, you start to look at it it's like, that is not true, right? But, you know, if you want to be a victim, the, this, the happiness practice is not for you because you are 100% accountable and responsible for how you respond and engage in your life experience every single moment. And the happiness practice helps you do that plumb or place of open-hearted and open-mindedness. So, um, and what's so interesting, what Linda and I didn't understand when we had lunch that day was our suicidality was coming from, we, were, we had been experiencing all the 16 signs and symptoms of burnout. And what the, the experts will say is, depending on how many symptoms of burnout you have, how long you've had them and how pervasive they are, they can lead to a pathology, depression, anxiety, PTSD. And the thing, the interesting thing about burnout is like there's good stress, you know, getting ready for going on vacation, get the car packed, make sure everybody's got their sandals and their sunscreen, right? And then there's bad stuff. like, really, here we go again. We have to redo this proposal for the fifth time, right? And it's midnight, blah, blah, blah. And then there's burnout. Burnout, when you wake up, say, I don't know who I am anymore and I can't get back to me. So uh, I would invite you all to go to our website and take the free and confidential happiness and burnout assessment. Assessment. Just check and see how you're doing. Where are you at? Invite your friends to take it. It's interesting because when we work with HR professionals and a lot of people can be put on a performance improvement plan, I'm like, if you got executive on a PIP, you really you, you really want them to heal so they stay engaged in your organization. And what we find out is most of those executives are in full state of burnout. And so mm -hmm. through the practice and every executive we've coached through um, happiness practice got off their PIP. Wow. So I... I think this is, and, and I've heard you say it, and Rochelle, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about how this, how this plays out in, in the workplace, because I do agree the mental health crisis is the next pandemic. I think that it's been mm -hmm. a tough job being human in the year 2020 and beyond. Literally everything we counted on, everything we knew to be true, everything we considered stable, if you were already unstable or, or navigating tough times, it got even worse. Like literally every foundational element of our lives shifted, uh, imploded even, uh, as we dealt with multiple crises and pandemics, health, financial, social, social justice, how and where we live and communicate. We, you know, we lived on top of each other 
uh, and that was either good or bad for people. So even if you were happy, you had to reimagine and redefine your state of happiness. And if you weren't, if you didn't have coping skills, if you didn't have some measure of resiliency, some tools to navigate, uh, you were you were in, in an even worse off position. And we're seeing, Rochelle, we're seeing lots of burnout and mental health conversations happen around the workplace. And so I want to talk about uh, sort of the generational shift and what's happening right now, because, um, you know, as I've said to you before, if you were to ask parents, grandparents, two, you know, a couple of generations ago, if we would have had this conversation about happiness, especially when it came to work and, and your workplace and your employer and how you interact with your supervisor, uh, that would have seemed soft, fluffy stuff. Right. Like you don't mm -hmm. get to be happy. Yep. Yeah, and <laughs> and so how does this conversation enter, enter into the workplace now, especially now? Right. And that's such a great question. And Jess, I'll start with my own journey. And, um, you know, at the beginning of COVID, Nancy and I knew each other professionally, not as close as we are now, but I certainly admired and respected her work from afar. But all of a sudden, I'm sharing a workspace with my 10 year old and my 12 year old. And I was like, what, what, what's happening here? How do I do this? And I, I thought I was happy and certainly happy enough. And one thing I was learning about my behavior is when I turned off my Zoom meeting, that is when I would recharge and refresh. And all of a sudden I have these little eyes on me and now I am the emotional leader. And they are, I'm like, I better check in with this. I better check in with this practice and see where I land. My test, my uh, assessment that Nancy was encouraging people to take um, came back happy, but burnt out. And I texted Nancy immediately. I'm like, what, what does this mean? What, and more importantly, like, what do I do about this? And how is this energy landing on my children who are sitting right next to me now that I am, you know, their emotional guide? I had no tools in my toolbox for this. I had no idea what was going on. How do you be happy and burned out at the same time? So I started the practice and um, it felt very, uh, like it was happy, it was very aspirational. Um, even a little smug for me to have the audacity to pursue happiness at a time when there was so much suffering and, um, uh, you know, uh, unrest and uncertainty. And here I am pursuing happiness, shame on me. So there, there is that guilt, right? Like what mm -hmm. do we deserve? Are, are we inherently supposed to be happy? Do we deserve that? Um, I loved right away that one of the pillars of their practice was to honor your feelings you know, honor your feelings. And the definition of happiness is not like, you don't have to run around being joyful and happy all the time, but at least knowing how to deal with these other feelings and knowing how to cultivate and move toward happiness. And that was a very, um, uh, that, that, that was reassuring to me. That was doable for me. Um, I, I mean, you know, like I said, happiness sounded exhausting at one point in my life. Um, I also love that I, you know, I very quickly saw how this could translate into corporate support. I think, you know, we're solving for a sense of belonging. We are solving for a sense of community, which you've done beautifully here. Um, Mimi also said it well when you hosted or when you, when, when she was on and, uh, 
she said, you know, we can check the boxes and we can fill the seats, but also look at the turnover. There's nothing in place to measure or to pursue or practice long-term. And Mm -hmm. if we don't look at the belonging and the community and the happiness or how you, every individual as an emotional leader, as Nancy said, you are responsible for how you enter the room and the energy that you bring into that situation. You know, you have to own that and you have to, you have to contribute to everyone's sense of belonging. Um, I also saw in the LinkedIn chat, there were a lot of um, parallels with happiness and yoga and state of mind and everything. And uh, the whole time that I was doing Nancy's practice, I was thinking, you know, this really is about focusing on your own mat, holding your own pose. People can be falling around you, you know, they can be Mm -hmm. coming in and out of their pose, working on their own breath, but it's really, what are you doing in your world? What are you contributing and how are you disciplining yourself? I love that description and I love the parallels to yoga because yoga is a practice. Anyone who practices yoga knows that it's a practice and it's personal and it looks like it looks for you and you get the value out of it that you need to get out of it. One day you could have a very genteel, you know, uh, sort of practice and the next day you might push yourselves and in crazy ways because that's what you need at the mm-hmm. time. But it, but I love that it's personal and yeah. it depends on what you have to, your practice is going to depend on what's in your tank, what you yes. have. And what you bring to upon. your team. What do you bring mm-hmm. to your team? And the fact that, that Nancy and Linda have really figured out how to track and measure burnout is huge because she has statistics on, you know, the snapshot before and after and how they got there. And that's something that no other practice offers. So that's where in a corporate environment, I mean, just think of if you, if you have given, been given a new title of equity and diversity and inclusion and you know, solving for belonging, how are you gonna prove that you're doing your job? How are you gonna prove that you've been successful at that? And that's what I was really drawn to her measurements and how she was very, um, specific and calculated about ensuring success. So uh, one thing I know, Nancy, is that there's nothing more powerful, nothing in the world more powerful than human emotion, passion, pain, love. Think about all of the things that we experience as human beings. Nothing is more powerful than emotion. And happiness is an emotion. And, and so the, the fact that we don't measure and, and strive to, um, that, that we don't allow it really to show up in the ways that it can and should show up. You've shared, and I love this, and I, I wanna connect the dots and make this, make this really tangible for people. You've shared that happy people are naturally more inclusive. And Rochelle just mentioned it. Every organization on the planet is focusing on fostering cultures of inclusion and creating a sense of belonging so they can welcome diversity into the workplace. If those are the goals, how are you doing that? Well, you have to make sure good people feel happy so they can do that work. Um, And, you know, how people respond to change, how we uh, how we let innovation and creativity and resilience uh, show up, those really stem from 
happiness from that sort of core skill set, don't don't they? Yeah, I'll just say I want to add to this. So happiness isn't an emotion, it's a state. Mm. And states typically have two um, sometimes opposing and sometimes complementary feelings. So like the state of happiness is simultaneously serene and excited. Now in Finland, the, the, excitement translates as anxiety. So we can't even use the word excitement in Finland. But so, so um, what you learn in the practice is to expand your emotional lexicon. So you go from underneath mad, sad, happy, glad, busy to exhausted, tired, energized, curious. Because when you can turn on your emotional guidance system, you will know exactly what to do next. But most of us stay at the surface because we're too busy being a human doing, not a human being. And what I, you said something earlier that I just have to say, it's like what I love, there's so many gifts with the, 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 the shelter in place component of the pandemic, because we all realize that there is no such thing as work-life balance. It's all happening all the time. I mm -hmm. bring myself to my work. I bring, I bring myself to what I'm doing with my children, to what I'm doing with my friends, to what I'm doing with my colleagues, right? And vice versa. And so I, I love it that they're like, we can get rid of that like, that was a myth that was just never true. And the, the other reason we talk about happiness in the workplace is because we don't go around saying, so Jess, how's your subjective well-being today? <laughs> we just don't. That's right? right. But yet we seem to want to measure well-being in corporations, right? Mm -hmm. And then what we learned from our research is that is an outside force. Me losing 20 pounds, me having a million dollars in my 401k, outside forces right? And so happiness propels all that stuff. So, um, and then you said something about multi-generation stuff and, and, you know, we, you like yoga, um, you, you can practice alone, but you can also practice in group. This is a mental wellness practice. Um, it, it typically is, is done over six months. You learn and practice each of the five principles for 30 days because that's the time it takes our new neuroplasticity to create new neural pathways. And so when you practice principle number one, be conscious, you have to like, you have to, you have to, and being conscious in the context of THP is of paying attention to what you're doing and how you're feeling simultaneously. Get your head and heart working together and be fully present in this moment of your life experience, not worried about the past or ruminating about, um, uh, ruminating about the past or worrying about the future. So, and then we give you three steps to do that. Just three times a day, check in yourself and do that. Because that's what's going to create the, the neural pathways. Like the first time you did down dog, not so easy. Now, no two down dogs are the same, but it takes practice. You have to even know what is down dog, right? What is being conscious? Because if we've ever, if you've ever driven from point A to point B and you get there and like, how did I get here? You were not conscious on your drive, right? And so what you what you realize in this practice is most of us are not here for a life experience. And this moment will never come again, right? Principle number two, honor feelings, because those 
that um, guidance system that we all have, and we all have the same one, um, is our personal navigation system. You know, we might choose to feel offended, but then we have to like to check in. It's like, did that person really attend to offend me? Like I was sharing with Rochelle before um, uh, you and, and Josh joined us. I said, I met, I just meditated for a few minutes and my intention for this conversation is to engage with an open heart and an open mind and communicate in a forwarding kind and compelling way. That, that's what I can do at this, in this moment of my life experience. Principle number three then is release control to be empowered. No two people have the same journey. My experience with my son taught me that in spades, right? This was his journey. I love him and support him. He might not make it, right? And I had to be very clear when I was supporting and I never touched in, tapped into enablement, right? And then principle number four is co-create what works now because everything and everybody is always changing. So what worked an hour ago or a week ago or a month ago, and we know now a year ago, is not what's going to happen now. So as HR leaders, it's like, I think the opportunity now is, is to really optimize your human beings. If that's what you got. You don't have your real estate even anymore. Like your human beings, that's it. That's the only asset you've got, you know, in your organization. And we're about to have a talent shortage. So like optimize, right? And then principle number five is belief system. This goes to the inclusion. So here's the nice thing. We already are diverse because no two human beings are the same. Even if you're identical twins, you are not the same. Now, the equity piece has to come in because do we need to create openings so that other people from other backgrounds and cultures and, and, and abilities, right, can have opportunities because high tide rises all boats, right? Create the opportunities. So diversity is a given. Equity needs to be managed. That's what people can manage and count and blah, blah, blah. But, but inclusion that requires an open heart and an open mind because inclusion is about how I respond to the experience that I'm having. So again, my intention is to be open-hearted, open-minded, kind, forwarding, and compelling today. The three of you or the people listening might not, that might not be how you're feeling. So the beliefs are have you ever heard the term, you know, um, change your thoughts, change your life? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually not true. Because it's our beliefs that drive our thoughts, feelings, and behavior. And there's two core beliefs that are the root of all destructive human behavior. I'm not good enough and I'm not loved. Mm. And all, each and every one of us are in one of those two camps every day of our life. And so what we're meant to do is extinguish those destructive beliefs by looking at beliefs that do serve us, right? So like um, when Lynn and I had lunch and we were experiencing suicide ideation because of our burnout, what we realized in our journey is we had a belief that if we didn't do it, it wouldn't be done right. Oh my God, no wonder I couldn't keep a team happy, you know? Um, you know, no wonder I was the one in corporate housing, you know, doing all the projects and getting, you know, there, there are some clubs I don't want to begin to begin 
to be part of. And the Platinum Club, Club on Delta is not one of them. Like I do not need to be a frequent flyer ever again. Um, but you know, that translated to home. Like I didn't think my kids could take out the trash better than I did. Nobody else could do the, di- I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, so that belief is everywhere and we're meant to look at it. So Greg Laboy, who's a Minnesota author, wrote this great book, Callings. Oh, so good. And he's like, these beliefs, they're going to walk up your doorstep and knock on your door. You can choose to not look at them, but they're going to come back and ring your doorbell. You can choose not to answer. They're going to come back. And, and, and if you don't look at them in the early signs of discomfort, they're going to come down your gym chimney in the middle of the night. And that's going to look like a health crisis, a relationships crisis, and a career crisis. So as HR leaders, I implore you, you're, the most important job you have is to optimize human talent and go beyond the symptoms of the behavior and say, how is this person's mental health? Mm-hmm. Are they equipped with tools and practices to be the best version of themselves? Because I guarantee you, and we got on the measurements, when you practice the happiness practice, the signs and symptoms burnout, burnout go down about 28% within three months. And the signs and symptoms of happiness and innovation, resiliency, and sustainability go up about 20%. What we find is burnout's got to simmer down a little bit more before the happiness and the byproducts can go up. And then we link that to key performance indicators, engagement, patient satisfaction, employee engagement, um, revenue, um, service level agreement. You know, like we tailor our metrics to matter for the organization. So like when we work in healthcare, the organizational metrics are engagement and patient satisfaction, right? That kind of runs the engine. But the labor and delivery department measures are different than um, the emergency department. So emergency department, you don't want in, you don't want want any sick calls and you you don't want um, event reports. Now in labor delivery, you don't want any errors. So, you know, we tailor the metrics that matter. And, um, you know, so, so I'm just so excited for all of you in this community because now is the time like, and, and, and we have to rethink how we protect the most precious asset we have. Mm-hmm. And that is our human beings. They are not human doings. There's going to be so much change and so much upskilling and so much whatever. We're going to need everybody and we're going to need AI. Like, let the AI do that stuff we don't want to do because if you haven't noticed, we have got some real problems that humans have to bring their heart and their mind to to solve. This is going to be solved by technology. It's going to be solved. Mm-hmm. Giving a darn. And I'm just going to say, since we're all parents, don't you want your children to be happy? I mean, just and I think we must be in order. I mean, Rochelle, you mama ain't happy. Nobody's happy like that. Right, that's right. 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 And so one of the things in this, this, this journey, you know, with my son is we had the practice, he's got the practice and it gave us shorthand. Like, you know, when I say, how are you feeling? He knows it's like, go there. And it takes you three days to figure out how you're feeling. I will wait three days, but I need to know. 
And then what works now? And I had to really, I believe me, I had to do a lot of walking meditation to release control. Um, because, you know, there are a few things the mama bear wanted to do. Um, but it's his journey. It's his journey. And here's what's going to happen. Where um, Michelle was on this call yesterday. We have this fabulous partner in, in the UK. And they are three years ahead of us. And Richard was just like, here's how it goes. Three years ago, we started looking at the mental health data. And it was scary. Mm -hmm. Two I could do something about it. A year ago, we're doing something about it. And you guys in America, you are three years behind. You're just looking at your data. So again, for you as HR professionals, like take this seriously. These shootings we've had every day, ho, ho, ho. That's just the beginning if we don't do something. And the reason we, we bring the happiness practice into organizations, it's a shared responsibility. Unlike wellness, wellness is you go to the gym and work out, right? You go eat right. Well-being is a shared responsibility. You've got to have the policies, right? You've got to have the place, right? You, you know, it's a shared responsibility. And for the leaders, I always prepare my clients. It's like, we know how to manage unhappy people. We got all sorts of policies, procedures, and pips to do that. Watch out when you light people's innovation on fire with happiness. Be prepared for innovation. They're gonna they're they're gonna want to see their ideas vetted and tested. I mean, it's so exciting. So anyway, I agree. And you know, I want to close us on on this note. You indicated, Nancy, that we are born happy, and I talked about Rochelle. Um, sort of our right to be happy. Uh, and I want to close it out on sort of our, our duty, uh, because I've heard you say that too, Nancy, it's really our duty. Uh, so, so we already made the parallel to yoga. I, I went to hot yoga last night. I, I did my practice yesterday. And the yoga instructor started us with a story. And she didn't finish it until the very end. I was wondering where she was going with this story that she warmed us up with. Uh, she reminded us of the tsunami in 2004 in the Indian Ocean in Indonesia, Southeast Asia. Uh, and, and, and she started talking about the elephants that were native to that region. The, the elephants who were native to that region could sense the waves coming. Somehow they were attuned to the fact that something that nobody else could sense yet was coming that would be destructive and would threaten their survival. And so the elephants made their way to the tops of the mountains in the region. And the tsunami came and it was destructive. It took life, it ruined the landscape, it pulled the land into the ocean and the elephants waited. And when it was done and over, the elephants made their way back down from the mountain and they dug out survivors with the trunks <laughs> on, their, on their heads. And, and I think about that, that happiness really is survival. It's not a selfish thing to do, to care for your being. It's
as you said, we're human beings, not human doings. It is not selfish at all to make sure we can continue being. It's actually a selfless act to make sure that we can show up for others. And I think that's the tie-in to leadership and how we can help each other because we are gonna need to help each other. I think we're in, we're in another wave of a crisis of a pandemic, as you've said, with mental health. And as human resources leaders, as business leaders, as people walking around the planet together, I think we can do a lot for each other. And one of them is to give each other the right <laughs> to acknowledge our right to exist and to be happy. Nancy and Rochelle, thank you so much for being my guest on this Now of Work podcast episode. I'm so happy that you're part of our community. And thanks for having this important conversation with me. Thank you, Jess. Thank you so much.